Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today I'm joined by Paige Dixon, Director of Hockey Operations with the Milton Menace and female NCAA player advisor slash manager of hockey ops with Avenue Sports Management. Paige brings a lot to the table in this one, including her perspective on hockey in Florida, the importance of making moves to follow your passion and dreams, and more that I think listeners will really relate to. With that, I'm happy to present Paige Dixon, Director of Hockey Operations with the Milton Menace and female NCAA player advisor slash manager of hockey ops with Avenue Sports Management. Today we're joined by Paige Dixon, Director of Hockey Operations with the Milton Menace and Manager of Hockey Operations and Female NCAA Player Advisor with Avenue Sports Management. Paige, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey Ryan, thanks for having me. Yeah, I know it's uh, an early Monday morning here on this recording, but I'm so excited to uh, talk some hockey and about your career and things like that. So uh, maybe just start off by talking about yourself, maybe touch on where you're from, and then uh, your involvement in sports you know, throughout your youth. Okay, so I am from, um, I was born in Coral Springs, Florida, grew up in Davie, Florida. Um, I, I, I didn't play hockey until I was about six. I started off in uh, t-ball, like most Floridians, and then went to roller hockey, played roller hockey for about four seasons, um, switched over into ice hockey, was quite bad at it. Um, and then decided, hey, let's let's go um, do some cheerleading. So I did that for a bit, um, and then I quit that, and then went back to hockey. Realized I was still very bad at hockey. Um, quit again, and then I went and started playing basketball. Um, ran track for about three to four seasons. Played basketball for about five years. Um, played flag football for three years um, and then decided to just quit sports altogether and then started doing musical theater in, um, in high school. So I have a very odd background. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've always been very athletic. I mean, I even joined the ultimate Frisbee team um, in high school. So I, sports has always kind of been a big part of my life. And especially growing up in Florida, right? I mean, it's it's 90 degrees Fahrenheit year round. So you just yeah. you're kind of always outside. And whether you're playing, you know, road hockey in the street with your friends or playing basketball in your driveway, that's just kind of how we all grew up in South Florida. So I've always um yeah, I I've always had um, you know, a lot of girlfriends and guy friends on my street and on my block. And sports has just always been kind of part of my life. Yeah, I always love asking about the, the early years and sometimes people are heavily invested in the game of hockey, working in hockey now, but a lot of times it's not and it's not every day, uh, you know, most of my guests haven't been from South Florida, so I know the weather <laughs> and things affect it down there and, and different activities you're able to do. Um, growing up in Newfoundland, you know, six months of the year, you're probably not able to go outside, but, oh yeah, uh, you know, it, it's nice to, uh, to hear that you had positive experiences in, in multiple sports and kind of uh, choose your path in that way yeah so moving into your schooling uh, maybe a few years down the road you were looking into things like journalism and and some things like that early on just talk about that process of deciding what you wanted to do and was sports you know kind of the focus there in journalism or was that maybe an afterthought at that point so it's funny so I never actually had any passion of uh, working in sports I always kind of loved fashion. Um, while I don't necessarily dress like it because I wear sweatpants and hoodies and, you know, ball caps every day of my life. Um, I, I just love the idea of New York city fashion. And I, you know, I watched sex in the city growing up and, you know, just kind of watching that. And I was like, okay, what can I do when I graduate high school? Cause I didn't really have a path. I, I didn't know. And I was like, okay, let's do fashion merchandising. But I decided to stay home, go to community college. 
um, and was like, okay, they don't have a fashion school here, but all right, I'll, I'll go in the PR side. Maybe I can do something with PR and fashion. Um, so I just did, you know, the, the typical courses, your English 101s, your maths, your, you know, things like that um, without real, any real path. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with the side of PR and, and media. And, and then I was like, okay, wonder, you know, what could I do with this? And at that, that time, social media wasn't as big as it is now, right? It was just kind of, just kind of starting. Um, so yeah, so there was no real, no real passion for it. Not that I didn't have a passion for sports, but I just didn't, it wasn't something that I thought of. It wasn't something that I thought like I could do or that I could be a part of. Cause that's just, that's not ingrained in unfortunately females minds as, as we're growing up that we can work in sports. Um, so yeah, I always just took the side of fashion, media and PR. Yeah. And you know, you talk about uh, going on that PR side and, and learning that area and thinking, you know, there isn't a connection to sport or it's not something that's going to come up down the road. But sure enough, uh, in 2009, an internship would come up with the Florida Panthers in PR and communications. Uh, I know you have a bit of an interesting story there. So maybe just talk about how you ended up with the Panthers and just talk about that experience uh, working on the business side of a, you know, a non-traditional hockey market. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of when it all happened for me for, for the sports side. So I was paying for my own college. So I needed to work at a, at, you know, a restaurant, a sports bar, something to, to kind of make ends meet on my own. So I was working at this bar in South Florida called uh, Bow Campers. And one night I wasn't supposed to do a closing shift, but I did. Um, so I stayed back to, um, one of our employees had to go home. So they were like, do you want to stay? So I said, sure. And everyone knew I loved hockey. So I was kind of really one of the only, you know, girls or guy, whatever, anyone in my sport, in my friends group that liked hockey and everyone kind of always made fun of me for it. They're like, why do you like hockey? So everyone at the bar knew that that was kind of, you know, anytime anyone walked in and asked for a hockey game, I would get super pumped. So someone was like, hey, Paige, you know, there's a there's a table full of gentlemen um, over there. They're asking for one of the late night hockey games. And they're like, you might want to take that table. So I was like, OK, so I go over there. I introduce myself. We start talking hockey. We start, you know, and, and within about 20 minutes, one of the guys is like, you know, you, you know your stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I grew up loving hockey, I grew up watching Mighty Ducks and Miracle and, you know, Mystery Alaska. And, and um, one of the guys kind of turned around and he goes, do you have any interest, you know, working in hockey? And just kind of was like, honestly, no, like it, I mean, yes, but it, it never occurred to me that, you know, I could. And he goes, well, I'm here to tell you, I'm uh, Mike Sundheim of the Carolina Hurricanes. We play the Florida Panthers tomorrow. Um, would you like to go to the game? You know, and I was like, absolutely. And he goes, would you like to work in PR with the Florida Panthers? <laughs> and I was like, um, sure. <laughs> and he's like, okay. Um, well, a good buddy of mine, Justin Copertino, is the head of PR. And I know they're looking for an intern. Um, you know, I think you'd be great. Uh, in that position. And I, I was stunned because that's just not something I ever dreamed or thought of. So I said, yeah, absolutely. He ended up calling Justin Copertino and within a month they called me. I did the interview. I went um, to the BB&T Center and got the grand tour and they hired me on the spot um, as an intern. And then the rest was history. And I completely fell in love with every aspect of working in hockey. Um, that was one of the greatest bosses I'll ever have is um, Justin Copertino. He's not there anymore, um, but he, he definitely changed everything for me. Um, but just walking into a rink and, and you're, you're walking in the, the lower bowl and you're seeing, you know, Bobby Orr and Mario Lemieux, and <laughs> you're just starting to see all these like people that you kind of grew up idolizing. Um, as a little girl and it was it was surreal right the first year was just more of this is crazy the second year is where it became like all right i can do this like i'm a part of this um and it was it was a it was a grind especially in south florida where 
you know, I mean, as Canadians like to shove it in our face, the hockey is not as, you know, prominent as big, um, which means that there's a lot more work that has to go into it, right? Um, when, when you can't fill an arena with 20,000 people every night, there's a lot more, um, you know, the day-to-day -day grind that went into, you know, the South Florida market and where instead of working with 20 different newspapers, you're working with two. And there was no real blogs at that time either because in 2009, it wasn't huge. Um, but it was such an unbelievable experience and it, it started everything for me was, was that franchise. And I honestly can't say enough good things about the Florida Panthers and, and how much they've kind of impacted my life and, and changed everything for me. For sure. I mean, anybody that I've talked with who's worked with the Panthers have always said good things, but that's a, you know, a pretty interesting story is you wouldn't expect on a closing shift at a bar to kind of get your entry <laughs> to working at the NHL level. It's just, I think that's the best thing about this game. Like you really don't know where those opportunities are coming. And just when you let your guard down and think that, okay, there's no way I can get a job here or this opportunity won't happen. It, it kind of surprises you. So uh, it was very interesting hearing about that story and <laughs> I'm sure uh, others, you know, who are looking to uh, enter the uh, the industry are are now applying for for jobs in sports bars and things like that, just hoping that they can get as lucky. But, um, yeah, very yeah, fortunate. Definitely. Uh, after leaving Florida, uh, you would go on to another internship. This time with the New York Rangers, uh, you know, a pretty big organization in the NHL. Uh, just talk about the experience of this time working for that franchise, uh, you know, on the business side as well. Yeah, so I, I knew my internship was coming to, a, to an end with the Panthers. I, I already had overstayed my welcome. It was only supposed to be a year. Um, they ended up keeping me on for an additional year. Um, so I was there for two years and I knew at this point that this is exactly what I wanted to do. There was no doubt in my mind that just the camaraderie of being with a team um, was, was definitely something that I wanted to be a part of. So I went on, um, I believe it's called that work in sports and I was just browsing and there was an internship section and I saw that there was an opening with the New York Rangers for a media relations assistant slash intern. So I reached out to my boss, Justin Copertino, and I just said, Hey, you know, this is something that I really want to do at this time. I was 20 years old and my dream had always been, and like I said, I loved fashion and I wanted to move to New York as a little girl, like sex in the city. Every, and I was like, this is perfect. If I can move to New York City and kind of have best of both worlds. Um, so I applied and, you know, I, I asked him to, you know, put in a good word for me, which he did. And um, I flew up to New York for an interview and I was hired on the spot there. So I ended up moving to New York by myself. I didn't know anyone. I had never moved away from home before. I stayed home for community college. And this was obviously I'm going from South Florida to New York City. And I didn't, I had no money. I met a girl through a buddy of mine with the Panthers who was like, you know what, come live with me for free in my one bedroom apartment. So I did. So here I am living on a pullout couch in a one bedroom apartment in the Upper East Side. Um, and I move up there and every single day I had to wake up at 3.30 because I had to take the train to Madison Square Garden and get there by 5.30. So it was a grind to get there every single morning. And obviously the New York market is a lot different than the Florida market. So it is nonstop. They do not sleep. So I go from two different newspapers to 20 plus newspapers, right, in New York. So every morning was clipping newspaper clippings from, you know, whether Derek Stepan sold his apartment and moved into Taylor Swift's apartment. And it was things like that. And you had to be on top of everything and make sure that you cataloged every, and it was, it was so surreal and all the events we did. And, and that was something that was so different. So we worked a 9-11 event, um, which was so beautiful. And, and to see the entire team there from, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, Sean Avery was there at that time, Brandon Dubinsky was there and getting to be a part of that, getting to be a part of something so unique. And, and then we worked a fashions night out event um, and of course, Henrik Lundqvist is there and 
just looking, you know, dapper as always. And, and you get to kind of, so now I'm here at the NHL store working a fashions night out event. And I'm like, this is unreal. And this is when at this point, this night was when I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is everything I've wanted. And it's just, it would, that was an incredible organization as well. Like I said, very different from the Florida Panthers. Um, not in a good or bad way, just a totally different, unique situation. Um, a lot of, a lot of interns, right? With the Panthers, there was only a couple of us. With the Rangers, there was 10, 15 of us. And, you know, it's all hands on deck there constantly. They're constantly moving. That city never sleeps. That team never sleeps. And it was, it was definitely a, um, it was a very unique and fun situation there. Yeah. It's, it sounds like it was a good experience and uh, you know, it's not always easy to make a big move like that in New York City, being uh, probably the biggest place to have to kind of transition to. And and you're going from the Panthers to the Rangers. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely a uh, a different world, that's yeah. for sure. A big transition, but it's good that you were able to uh, experience like an original six franchise, the way they operate. And, and I'm sure you could take that into different roles in the future, but uh, you know, all experiences are, are good experiences. And it sounded like that one was uh, a great experience overall. Uh, following that, you would do a couple different roles, uh, you know, and in, in, stay involved in the game of hockey. So maybe just talk about, you know, your position with the NHL there for a little while, as well as uh, Panthers Parkway, which Jeff Merrick uh, had particular interest in. <laughs> yeah, so... Okay, so so full disclosure, I ended up moving. I, my internship didn't last long. Um, I actually found out I was pregnant, so I moved home. Um, and uh, with my husband, who at the time worked for the Florida Panthers as well, he was the director of hockey ops for the for the team. So I, I moved home, and I knew I wanted to stay in hockey. Every part of me wanted to stay in hockey, and I was thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that we were, you know, that we were having a baby, but I was like, what can I do to stay involved and to keep this going? So I needed to finish school first and foremost as well. Right. So I, I continued with my intern or with my, um, you know, with my associate's degree at Broward college down South. And I, I was like, you know what, the hockey writers started becoming a thing. Blogging started becoming a thing, you know, a lot bigger, so I joined, um, I joined a blog called The Rat Trick, uh, which was a, you know, one of the first blogs with the Florida Panthers. And after a while, uh, The Rat Trick kind of closed and I was like, you know what, I'm going to start my own. You know, I had a decent following on Twitter at the time, you know, before I shut down that account, I had about 5,000 followers and I was like, okay, like this is, you know, people for whatever reason want to hear from me. So I was like, all right, I'll create my own website. So me and my friend, Frank Rikas, um, created Panther Parkway. And then we hired different writers, um, you know, Jameson Cooper, who's actually the head writer for the Florida Panthers now, Chrissy Parente, who's manager um, of media relations with the Panthers, and Mike Lewis, who also works for the Panthers. So all, you know, all of us kind of were like, let's start this, this website. So we did. And it had a lot of success because like I said, with the Panthers, there's only two newspapers. There's a, at the time, at least there was the Sun Sentinel and the Miami Herald. So it was like, let's give them a different perspective. And this is a way that I could stay involved, you know, as much as possible because I, I knew I couldn't go back to an internship there. And so we started that and it had a lot of success. Jameson was our head writer and he was such a storyteller and it was so much fun working with him and, and working with your best friend makes it a lot easier, right? And it's a thankless job because it's not like you're making a lot of money. And I was kind of the boss and I wasn't like, hey, you have to you know, push out seven articles a week. I didn't care. It was just, I wanted quality over quantity. And that's just kind of how we ran. And then we were like, let's do a radio show. So then we started doing a radio show and our first guest was Jeff Merrick. And that's kind of why Jeff Merrick um, brought that up. Merrick has been a good buddy of mine for a couple of years. I, I actually, oh, over 10 years, maybe now I met him with the Florida Panthers. Um, he was down for a game one day. Um, and yeah, I had him on as our first guest and I was terrified. But um, ever since then, I kind of have my, I have a forever friend in him. But then we had, you know, certain guests. I had Eric Goodbranson on and certain players so I got to kind of learn to to 
you know, deal with higher end players. Um, you know, I, I interviewed a couple um, former Florida Panthers players, Brian Scrudlin, and then I also my favorite player of all time, which many people don't know who this even is, but Paul Laws, who grew up, be, he was my favorite player since I was three years old. Um, and I had him on. So that was surreal getting to interview your childhood hero when you had posters in your room of this man. And um, so that was such an incredible experience and, and being able to do that while I was pregnant, going to school, but then also had, you know, my son Easton at that time and just being able to, to stick with it and stay in hockey and at least get my name out there in any sort of way. It was, um, it was very special. And that was, that was five years of my life that I, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I got to do. Yeah, that, it sounds like you were, uh, you know, really committed to it and, uh, you know, life, life comes into play and there's things that are bigger than a game of hockey, but you were still able to find a way to, you know, to make it work in Panthers Parkway and get involved and, in, you know, even have some experience working with players and things like that, which obviously are a big part of your roles today. So moving into the next position uh, that I want to talk about is uh, Bronco Academy and your role as hockey director. Maybe just talk about the program and, um, you know, how you kind of found yourself in that position. Yeah, so um, three years ago, uh, my husband was hired by the Toronto Marlies and the Maple Leafs, so we had to move to Ontario. So obviously everything changed. I was so used to my, you know, my niche, the thing I had in Florida, um, and then I had to kind of change over into the Ontario market. And obviously there is no shortage of hockey here. But when I moved here, I was like, I, I have to stay in the sport. But there's so many blogs, there's so many Toronto Maple Leafs blogs, like, I can't compete with this, right? So I was like, I need to do something. And I, and I can't just move here and snap my fingers and hope for an internship with the with the Leafs or the Steelheads or, you know, the Bulldogs, I knew I had to do something um, to kind of you know, get my foot in the door in the Ontario market. So one day I went on indeed.com and I just put in hockey in the keyword and I saw um, Bronco Academy and I didn't know what it was. I, I had no idea. I didn't understand how, he, and it sounds silly, how huge hockey is here, like from the minor hockey level, even like just how massive it is. So I see this academy and I'm like, what is, what is this? And I'm reading it and it looks like it's like a morning program where it's all triple A, double A players that, you know, just learn how to play hockey, you know, at a, at a higher level. And it was a man named Dan Del Monte. And I put in my resume and within a day he called me and we had a phenomenal talk. And it was, you know, this, this man, he played uh, pro hockey for 15 years. He, he was, he played at the OHL level. He was a very, very high end skilled, skilled OHL player played in the, the, what we know as the OJHL as well. And then went on and moved on to the DEL. And I loved everything he was saying and kind of his philosophy on, on his program. So, so basically what it is, is it's a high performance program that's run Monday through Thursday and it's for rep hockey players. So it's just basically training rep hockey players at, um, you know, from, we do it from 7.30 to 8.30 in the morning in Oakville and Brampton, we have two different locations. And it's just, he has such a unique way of instructing and it's a very European style and he's so skilled. So we're very skilled based over speed training. It's, it's so unique and I love dealing with these kids and I, I'm still there to, to this day. And I've been here now, I think that I'm going on my third year. Um, but just to watch these kids, you know, they, they need extra training just, you know, besides their team to learn from different coaches, to learn different skills from different instructors, to get different perspectives. And that's kind of what this is. So, you know, every morning these kids are on the ice learning different drills and, and we're very big on, you know, work to rest ratio. So we make sure we have, you know, we're usually one to six. We want to make sure that we have for every six kids, there's an instructor. And that's so important to us. And Dan is so big on development and he understands the, the complexities of it. And I mean, he has a son who was, 
you know, who was offered a commitment with Harvard at 14 years old. And then he ended up committing to the Barry Colts or going to the Barry Colts. He was drafted in the second round there. So, I mean, he's created amazing hockey players. He has a 2006 daughter who's phenomenal as well. So, you know, once I saw all this, it was a no brainer. I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to see the development side. Now this was a whole different world. Now I'm seeing rather than the media side, you're seeing the development and the coaching side and the X's and O's of the game. So it's kind of opened my eyes a lot more to hockey. Definitely. I, uh, I also started in a kind of a private setting there recently and, um, you know, doing scouting and analytics and things like that. Uh, you think, you know, a lot until you get in and you see these skills coaches and these people who are working on the day-to-day development uh, with these kids. I know sometimes we're on the ice at 6 a.m., 7 a.m., you know, 7.30, like you said, it's uh, it's amazing to see what these kids are willing to do, uh, you know, throughout the week and before school and the commitment. And um, Oh, it's it's insane. I yeah. Like I said, growing up in Florida, this was not, you know, like I would watch my brother who played for the Florida Junior Panthers and he worked with his team and a skating coach and that's it. But it's like you come here and there's so many different options. You just have so many different, you, you have different morning programs you can go to. There's, there's different everything. And it's so hockey centric and it's, it's awesome that these kids have so many different options and different coaches that they can learn from with different styles and, you know, but everything Dan's done, his, his style, it's, it's been so much fun to watch and to watch these kids develop, you know, cause we've had a lot of the same kids for three years and to see them grow is so it's incredible to watch it and to know that you were a part of it. And, and um, it's really special. Yeah, I, I totally agree in that statement for you, you know, you'd, you'd continue to uh, gain momentum and look for roles in hockey. And the next one would be director of hockey operations uh, with Milton menace. How did you find yourself in the OJHL with Milton, uh, a new team and just talk about the, the task of creating an expansion team and generating success uh, early on. Yeah, so Dan Del Monte um, brought me actually on to the Menace, him and Jason Trifon, who is the president and owner of the Menace. So kind of how that all came about is the two of them had a great vision of wanting to kind of enter into the OJHL and the New Market Hurricanes were being sold. So they decided, um, you know, to, to buy the New Market Hurricanes and, and essentially moved them to Milton. So it was such a unique thing because we had to start from the ground up. There was absolutely, we didn't have any players. We had no, you know, n- nothing, no jerseys, no, no social media, no staff. So it, it was a complete um, overhaul and they did such a phenomenal job. And, and Jason, he is a marketing wizard. So that was the biggest thing with the menace is being able to, go from, you know, the new market hurricanes and shifting it and bringing it to Milton and having to start from scratch. So Jason did everything from, you know, the logo, the branding, the, the marketing, and, and then essentially brought me on um, as the director of hockey operations and um, communication. So his big thing was we need a voice. We need, we want to create the menace to be kind of like the Carolina hurricanes, the, the Vegas golden Knights, you know, we wanted to, kind of kicked down the door in the OJHL because the OJHL is not necessarily known for their, you know, their media side. A lot of the younger or the lower end divisions and in junior hockey, there's not a lot that goes into the social media, the marketing. So he's like, let's change that. Let's kick down the door and let's, let's do this right. Let's do it different and let's make some noise. So that's what we did. We came out swinging with this logo that everyone was like, what is this? So it's like this menacing logo and and it's it had such good feedback. And then we created our jerseys in conjunction with Bar Down and that had great feedback. And then and then we started signing, you know, players and and Dan and Jason were working diligently on that and then we got involved in the community and Milton was so excited to have a team again because they used to be the Milton Merchants and John Tavares had actually played 14 games for the Milton Merchants. So it was like, we were bringing kind of history back to Milton, but we wanted to change the landscape of it. We were no longer the Milton Icehawks. We wanted to be completely different 
get rid of, you know, everything that Milton was once before and kind of keep the history, but add a little flair and spark to it. Um, so it has been such an incredible experience working for the Met. Like the, the first year, I've got to tell you, it was it was probably the best year of my life um, in hockey. And, and being named director of hockey operations was huge because I'm the first um, director of hockey operations as a female director of hockey operations in junior hockey. And when I found that out, it's both an honor, also pretty sad that it's, you know, that it, it's unfortunate that more girls aren't, um, you know, in, in given these titles. And, um, but the team has definitely let me, you know, explore and, and be a part of it, a part of meetings, a part of, um, you know, having a voice and both Jason and Dan, you know, have really taught me a lot um, working in hockey or working in junior hockey and, and the grind of the day-to-day -day with, the, with the menace and going through game days, going through all the preparation. You wear so many hats in the OJHL and it's been such an experience. And, and those two really hit it out of the park, uh, I yeah. gotta say. Yeah, I think the OJ uh, is happy to have the menace. And I can remember uh, the first day that logo was released and, and kind of being intrigued by how it was, you know, kind of different from what you usually see at the junior level and, and the OJ uh, specifically. But, uh, you know, the team really did uh, take a hold of the, the marketing and did things a little bit different at that level. And I think people really gravitated towards that. And the fan support definitely was there uh, from an outside person looking in. But uh, for you, it, it just speaks to the commitment again, moving into that position. And uh, like you said, being the first female to do so, uh, it's, you know, long overdue, but, you know, take it by the horns and kind of run with that job and, and be successful in year one. So uh, I'm sure, you know, being the first female to do it and doing it to the degree that you did, uh, you definitely won't be the last. So the next position I wanted to go into was your role with the Avenue Sports Management as a female player advisor and manager of hockey operations. Just talk about how you found yourself in that role and then maybe how previous positions have prepared you uh, for this agency work that you now uh, do on a daily basis. Yeah, so through the Milton Menace, I met a man named Errol McDonald. Um, and, you know, we started chatting after games and, and he kind of had asked, you know, do you have any interest in being an advisor? Um, and I did. And, you know, just kind of being a part of hockey for a bit, you know, you're working with agents, you, you see agents and advisors at games all the time. And, um, and then like, you know, in talking with my husband and he kind of always said like, this would be, this would be an interesting position for you. Um, so yeah, so I started having these conversations with Errol um, on a daily basis. And I loved the, like what I loved, what he was about. He wanted to change kind of the landscape of um, the advisory side and the agency side. And he has a very unique background. He's, you know, he's a Jamaican who moved here when he was one years old, <laughs> knew nothing about hockey. His parents didn't know anything about hockey. And, you know, he's like growing up, I, all my friends were getting agents and advisors. And, you know, he ended up going to RIT and playing, you know, hockey there, but he's like, all my friends afterwards are going pro and they're like, my agent said this and my advisor said this. And he's like, what, what, like, do you guys have this stuff? So he, uh, you know, for, for him, he had this vision. So he wanted to create kind of an advisory side. He was with an NHL agency before and then decided to kind of branch off on his own. And, and then called me and here we are. And we had some great conversations and he wanted to, to change it a little bit. And he's like, let's do a female wing because something you learn is kids from the age of 13 boys, they have advisors or agents right away. If you're a superstar or, or you're an elite player, you automatically are given an agent, right? Like you, you have your pick and you can go to the OHL or you can go junior A and then NCAA. But for girls, it's like, you know, in the schools that I've talked to, it's like, yeah, they most don't have advisors. It's just, you talk to their mom or your dad, their dad, and you get about 60 emails a day from different, you know, girls. And, and so that's something that we wanted to do a little different. And it's like, if boys can have agents when, or advisors, why can't these girls, you know? And I have some brilliant, brilliant girls who, you know, who just, 
need a, a little help because there's 41 ranked D1 schools to go to, you know, to, to, to choose from. And it's all about getting their name out there. It's all about just, you know, sending video, communicating, having real human conversations with these different coaches and, and just getting, getting them, you know, to, to see these girls and to, to, you know, come to tournaments or go to the States and, and join, do tournaments with, with the, you know, with our clientele and just getting these girls' names out there is so important. And, you know, guys get it all the time and, and guys have all these different paths that they can go. The OJ, the, you know, they can go AJ, SJ, BCHL. And it's like, they get all these things. And, and, you know, my girls, it's, they go midget double A and then they go to the PWHL and it's like, they need all the help that they can get as well. So I'm so happy to be a part of this and, and as a female and something I've, I think is so important is, you know, there, there are girls who have advisors, but I think for a female to have a female advisor, you know, it might be a little more comforting, um, a little easier um, for them. And it's, it's easier for me to deal with girls. I, I love it. And, you know, a lot of them have such vibrant personalities and it's just such a treat um, to, to work with these girls on a day-to-day -day basis. So, and then to answer the question of, you know, kind of how my other jobs help with this is, you know, you're dealing with a lot of high-end coaches when I'm, when I'm calling schools and, or, you know, when you're, when you're talking to different people and through my conversations with like Bobby Orr and Bobby Clark and, you know, all these people, you, you kind of learn, um, you kind of learn how to talk to people, like what to say, what not to say, um, how to approach different things and for working in the NHL and you, you kind of learn how you conduct yourself when you're speaking to different people. And I'm still learning, I'm so new to this and, and I know I have so much to learn, um, but I am very fortunate that you know my background has, has definitely helped me um, with this position. Definitely, and, and I love the, the talk about the female hockey. And uh, like you said, you know, a lot of these younger girls and players don't have the opportunity to have an advisor, but even you know fewer have the opportunity to have a female advisor on top of that. So uh, it's great to hear that you've been able to go in there and, and kind of uh, you know help supply something to that market and and give those girls the advising and things like that that they need to you know continue success uh, in the game of hockey. As a woman in a prominent hockey operations position in the OJ and then with the the female advisory role as well, how motivating has it been to see others growing through the ranks at all levels? You know we're seeing it in hockey in junior hockey and, and we're starting to see some things pop up in uh, the AHL and uh, hopefully soon some more in the NHL. Just talk about uh, what you're seeing at the pro level and how motivating it's been to see, you know, somewhat of a transition to more female uh, employees in those higher positions uh, throughout the game. I don't want this to sound cliche, but this is extremely motivating for me. Yeah. I mean, you saw it this year in the NHL draft with Alex Lafreniere going number one overall, Emily Castange, his, you know, his, um, his agent, female. And just, I have read so much about her and the way she conducts herself in interviews and how much of a, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, badass she is. And it's been so cool to, to see that there is a, a female agent and so powerful and, um, it just, and then you have Noelle Needham who, you know, used to work for the Leafs and now she's the assistant GM of the Chicago Steel and, you know, Haley Wickenheiser. And obviously I'm sure they all have different backgrounds than I do, especially Haley. Haley's a little different, but, <laughs> but it's, it is motivating because this is what I want to do. And, and ever since joining the Florida Panthers, this is, I realized that this is the path I want for myself. And, and I hope one day to, be a part of this and to show what I can do, um, you know, in a, in a front office. And it's just, just seeing all these girls. And, and now you have um, uh, Fuller, um, the, the kicker and like, even that, like seeing, seeing the girl who's now, you know, a kicker for Vanderbilt and all of these different things. And it's just, all these girls are knocking down doors for us. And 
it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Like this year, there's still so much work to do. Like, you know, we, we know there's a ton of work that still needs to be done, you know, for, for girls to be included more, but, um, it's been, especially this year has been, um, very, very interesting for, for females. And, and I think the future is definitely bright for us. And I think we're definitely kicking down more doors. Definitely. And I, and I'm, I hope to see that uh, trend continue, you know, moving forward. Uh, going into uh, some reflective questions and things like that uh, throughout your career, you know, in junior hockey, uh, volunteering in the community is one thing that players do frequently. And uh, even at all levels, you talked about some experiences with players in the community, with the Rangers and things like that. Having worked in that area, how important do you feel it is for players to do these types of things? And what impact does it have on developing these players for, you know, both on and off the ice? Well, I've seen it, you know, firsthand with the menace. I mean, you saw it with New York, of course, but um, at the menace level, it's it was so different because you're dealing with, you know, young kids that live in Milton. So it's like these boys are their heroes. And it's so cool to see because it is the OJ level, right? And you have after games, just a simple autograph did everything for these little kids. We would have 50 plus kids after our games. Can I have a stick? Can I have a stick? Can I have a stick? (laughs) Can I have this? Can I have that? And they would get it. You know, our players, if they had a broken stick, it was, they would sign, hand it to the players and you would see these kids light up. And I think it made such an impact on our players. You know, we had a a little boy who drew a picture of a skate for one of our players, Freddie Elias. And he was so happy when Freddie shared it on his Instagram and you could just tell it made his day. And, and it, you can tell it, it, it makes the player's day as well. Right. And I think they're learning that this world is so much bigger than hockey, that these kids, that everything in the community, you know, we, we did a, we, we've done a lot of stuff for, you know, hope in high heels where I had, you know, we had all of our rookies wearing pink high heels to walk um, in women against violence. And you could, there was no, Oh, I don't want to do this. This is silly. Like, it was just like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And exactly. you're, you're kind of learning that it's just more and more these people, you know, these guys, these, these girls, everyone's just becoming more involved and they understand especially now more than ever in the landscape that this world is in right now they're learning that this how important this is and I think it's it's you know they're, they're growing they're they're growing as human beings not only hockey players but as humans and and they're understanding that you know like I said the, the world is bigger than hockey and life is bigger than hockey and there's just their impact the impact that they have and again, just at the OJ level, and I'll imagine an NHL player signing an autograph, a, a stick. It's, it's, um, it's incredibly important. And yeah, you know, I've watched my my our menace players develop. I mean, you ask my captain, hey, do this he, without hesitation. Yes, absolutely. There's never any oh man. <laughs> so everyone seems to be maturing. You know, everyone's just kind of growing with each other nowadays and, and understanding the importance and the impact that community involvement has on hockey. Yeah, you know, the the community scene, especially in junior hockey in Ontario, I mean, it's so big and it's so important for these players to get out there and connect with fans and young fans who, you know, might be future players on the team down the road, but uh, it really does build character and, and things like that. And, and that's just something that you have to do in the Canadian hockey scene, as well as the American hockey scene. Uh, in Canada, a lot of these players have an ambition maybe to go to the OHL, but a lot of them can go NCAA as well through the junior A teams, as you touched on earlier. Uh, it's a common path that not a lot of people, you know, maybe know the ins and outs of. So a listener just wants to know what, in your opinion, is one of the bigger challenges for Canadian kids uh, looking to go that route that maybe American kids don't have to deal with. Maybe it's something along the lines of uh, influence from the OHL um agents advisors etc it's a pretty open question so just yeah. interested in hearing your thoughts no i mean i growing up in florida everything was ncaa everything every sport college is massive college is bigger than pro and you know college football it is it's march madness everything it, you are kind of taught ncaa do that and then in canada 
you come here and it's like OHL, the WHL, right? Uh, and then the QMJHL. I think the big, the big thing and, and the hardest thing for Canadians is the pressure, is the pressure to go that route, that it's not okay to leave your home country to go to the NCAA and play hockey in America. To me, that has been the biggest thing. And there is nothing wrong with going to the NCAA. I mean, the education alone, right? You're, you're getting, and not that you're not getting an education at the OHL level, but just the fact that you're going to go to school while playing at the NCAA level and, and have that degree, whether it's from, you know, Yale or Mercyhurst or Robert Morris University. And I, I think that that's something that I wish a lot of kids, and, and I, you're definitely seeing it more that a lot of Canadians are going to the OJHL just so they can eventually go to the NCAA or going to the BCHL so they can eventually go. Um, so I think that is kind of changing a lot, but I think there is still that pressure of I'm Canadian. I have to go to the OHL. I have to stay, you know, and, and go to the, the QMJHL or the WHL. But I, but I think you're definitely seeing a change in that. Yeah. A change in mindset. And there's just so many different options. And, you know, we tell guys in OHL, like we, we believe in OHL is a, is a great place to play, but I've uh, I've spoken with kids out East, you know, in my hometown who were looking at the queue and and maybe another option was better for them. So it really just comes to the particular player and maybe what they're looking to get out of the game. Uh, Yeah. And it it works for fortunate that you have these options, right? Like you have so many different options now. So kids aren't just, don't just have to be married to the idea of going to the OHL or, you know, the queue or now they have, so many, and then you have X amount of NCAA D1 schools to choose from if they're good enough and if they choose to go that route. So, yeah, exactly. And for for you, uh, looking at what you want to get out of the game, maybe it's a little bit hard to look into the future, especially, you know, dealing with COVID and everything that we're dealing with at the moment. But maybe five, 10 years down the road, uh, where do you hope to be, whether it's in the game of hockey or uh, just in life in general? I definitely, you know, I would like to say my goal is to be an assistant GM um, in, you know, any really aspect of hockey. Um, I don't want to set too lofty of a goal for myself because I know I have so much to learn, so much to learn. And I like the path that I'm on right now. And I hope, you know, the advisory side will take off. You know, that that's that's my biggest hope is to to turn Avenue, at least the female side, into kind of a new poor sports, you know, and at least for the girls' side. And I, I want to grow this as big as possible for the girls' side of hockey. Um, and that right now is my goal. Um, in time, I would love to be an NHL agent. That would be, you know, it's just like I said with Emily Castange, just seeing that was so surreal to me and seeing that, you know, Alex Lafreniere went number one overall and, and his agent is a girl. And that was so inspiring for me. Um, but then at the same time, I love the camaraderie of being with a team that has been such an exciting and important thing. And something that Jason Trifon and Dan Del Monte have given me with the menace. And you're, I still have that itch of, you know, working for an NHL one team, uh, team one day, and maybe being an assistant GM would also be super special. And you're starting to see a lot of agents get hired as, you know, assistant GMs, GMs, director of hockey operations in the NHL. So I know it's definitely possible. Um, and I'm going to work at that until I get it. That's, that's really all this is, you know, I'm not going to stop until I get what I want. And I, <laughs> I don't want that to sound bratty, but <laughs> that's just kind of, my mindset right now is I have a lot to learn. You know, the game is changing. I have to adapt to the game. I have to adapt to, to, you know, life in hockey and every day is a unique situation. And um, I'm just going to keep learning until I get, until I get there. Yeah. And and with that ambition uh, it's very definitely feasible. It's just a matter of putting yourself in the right opportunities and uh, learning from those people. And like you said, learning is su- such a key aspect, especially with the game evolving. And um, people at My Hockey Resource think the same way. They're a community on Discord, which have people who have never worked in the game all the way to the NHL level, talking about things like video coaching, scouting, analytics, list goes on and on. So 
for people who are listening who maybe want to have an opportunity to talk with people like this and learn a little bit more as you look to transition through the game, be sure to check out My Hockey Resource on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Paige, for you, you like to learn through people. It, it's evident from your story that you've had a lot of connections, but you can also learn from books, articles, different things like that, even Panthers Parkway. I'm sure some people learned from in the past. For you, what are some of your favorite articles, books, podcasts, et cetera, that you look to for reference and or new ideas? So this is something that, you know, I when I saw this question, I was like, oh no, <laughs> because I'm 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 gonna, you know, I'll just be honest. I do not read a lot, which is something that I wish I could change about myself. And I need to, and I understand the impact reading has. And you know, I, I sit and I look at Kyle Dubas and the fact that he reads every day and shares a new book. And, and it's like, oh, I, I, I know I need to do that. And, but for me, I still am in the, the mindset of I'm on Twitter all the time. Right. So I'm constantly just clicking on links, clicking on links. And of course the athletic, the athletic is, you know, one of the top ones that I, you know, I read all the time. Um, 31 thoughts, you know, Elliot Friedman and, and Jeff Merrick, anything Jeff Merrick does, I'm going to, you know, um, but then, you know, too many men, that podcast, um, your podcast, hello. Uh, <laughs> but that's something, something that I do want to read, um, Daryl Belfry's new book. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to order that and I'm going to read it because that's, that's a side that I, not that I necessarily want to get into like the coaching aspect, but I know there's a lot that I can take away from that book. Um, and I'll take a lot, you know, and I know Daryl through, you know, through my husband with the Leafs and everything. So I would, I would like to support him, but I also want to learn from him and not to mention, I mean, he has a daughter who's an exceptional hockey player as well and who he helped create. And, you know, that's, I want to kind of see his, his side, his, um, philosophies of the game. So, but that is definitely something that I wish I did more of was read, um, whether it's, you know, books, articles, that's something that I, I know that that's a flaw that I have. And, you know, for anyone listening to this, don't be like me, <laughs> read. Yeah. Well, you know what? Like we've had people come on and, and kind of say the same thing that maybe they learned through, uh, you know, watching videos or, or just have no interest in reading and just put that effort into on ice tactics and things like that. But I think that's just really the landscape of the game. You can learn through so many different avenues and just because you don't do one thing doesn't mean you can't learn through another way. And, uh, you know, right. looking at books, I'm sure Daryl Belfry's book is one that I'm going to hear uh, almost every time I hear that question. And and like you, I, I plan on reading that. And just because it, it's something that's a little bit foreign to me. And um, it seems like everybody that's read it so far has nothing but good things to say. Yeah. Uh, moving into, hey. go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, yeah, like, even though I don't, you know, necessarily read a lot, but like, the, the best thing that I've done for learning honestly has been to sit into the meetings with the menace right with the coaches and because I don't know any like the coaching side is it's foreign to me I'll, I'll be the first to admit that you know I'm on the hockey op side the the contracts the you know kind of helping Dan with the the day in day out you know hockey operations tasks but sitting and listening to you know Daniel Nikandrov who's our assistant coach and and Dan Dalmonte and listening to them go through their practice preparations and everything for the day, or and I, I wish I could say game day preparations, but unfortunately such is life with COVID right now, but that's been the best way I can learn is to sit, to, to look at their whiteboard, to listen to the lingo that they have and learn from them that way. You know, I'm a, I have to see it kind of thing. You know, I, I have to see to understand and, and, you know, and then I get to ask questions. So that's, that's been great. So even though I'm not necessarily learning from articles or books, I'm learning firsthand. And that's been so important to me. Yeah. And throughout your career, I'm sure there have been a lot of mentors and people who directly have influenced you in that way. Uh, maybe just go back over your story and talk about some of those mentors who have helped you and what are some of the major lessons that they taught you uh, through those interactions? I can tell you that probably at the, at least at the moment, my biggest mentor is Dan Del Monte. Um, I, like I said, I moved here. I knew no, I, I didn't know a soul, right. I moved to a different country knowing absolutely no one except my family. And then I met Dan right away and he has opened so many doors for me and helped me so much. And 
you know, I can call him at any hour of the day and whether I'm crying my eyes out at something that I think, you know, anything he's, he's helped me in every way possible and, and helped explain the game to me in a different way, explained to me the development side of hockey. And he's been a friend, right. And he'll tell me like it is, he's not afraid to hurt my feelings and not afraid to say, this is what I think you need to be better at. This is what I think you're great at. And this is what you need some work at. Um, so kind of having him, you know, I work with him at two different jobs and obviously, you know, I'm able to do that and we get along great. So it's been, he has helped me a lot and, and helped me kind of, um, you know, transition out of that media, the media PR side that I had been accustomed to into this hockey operation side. And, um, you know, I think that's been, he's been really uh, special uh, for me. And then, of course, I got to say my brother is my other one. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have had any interest in hockey. Um, you know, he played at the at the double A level because in Florida, the double A level for the Florida Junior Panthers was essentially triple A. And, um, you know, I used to live in hockey rinks because of him. I would go to every single game, every single tournament. I couldn't miss a single one. I had to watch him play. I was his biggest fan. When he got hurt, I cried. When he fought someone, which was constantly, you know, I would be the first one to cheer him on. <laughs> and, you know, when he scored, which wasn't a lot, he was a defenseman, but, you know, I, I was his biggest supporter and he's always been my biggest supporter. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for him, I definitely wouldn't have been as in love with hockey as I am today. Yeah, it's always great to have those friends and family who are able to help you uh, succeed in, in whatever area you want. And this one being hockey uh, in South Florida and then moving to Ontario and things like that, it definitely takes uh, some help along the way, maybe a suggestion or somebody that can help open another door for you. But at the end of the day, I guess it is also uh, you just taking those opportunities and, and making those connections. So as a final question, if you could go back to yourself, maybe uh, when you were looking for something to do following high school, or maybe even another female who's looking to enter the game of hockey, what is one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would succeed in the game? Well, the biggest thing is, I got to say, I mean, this might sound silly, but at, the, at this point, take what you can kind of get to get your foot at least in the door, right? Because here I am, I moved to Ontario, and I not that I had an ego, but in my mind, I'm like, Hey, I worked in the NHL. Like I want to get in the OHL thinking it was that easy, <laughs> not, not that easy. And I took the opportunity of joining Bronco in this development role and understood that like this opened so many doors for me because of Bronco, the menace happened because of the menace Avenue happened. So it's like, don't, just kind of get your foot in the door first. That is to me, that's the biggest thing, you know, keep your ego in check. I had to do it. And, you know, I got my foot in the door and then, you know, I'm slowly getting to where I want to be. And I think that's the biggest thing is kick down that door, start, you know, start small if you have to, and then show everyone what you can do, you know, prove to yourself day in and day out, prove to others what you can do. And to me, that would be the, the biggest advice I have. And as cliche as it sounds like, you know, I've had days where I've wanted to curl up into a ball and cry and think that this is not who that I can't, I can't do this. And then it's like, no, you remember who I, like, I, I got to remember who I am. <laughs> like I'm Paige Dixon. I can do this. <laughs> you know, you got to kind of hype yourself up a little bit. And, um, you know, so that's something that I've definitely, um, definitely would say is just, open, get any door you can get into and then prove yourself once you're there. And, yeah. and, and, you know, don't take anything for granted. Just, just prove yourself and work your way up because if they're, if the bot, if you do your best, you know, if you, if you do the best you can, no matter who you're working for, they're going to see it or they're not. So, you know, if you're, if you're working your hardest, like I'm very fortunate to, I've had Dan and Jay who believed me and, and understood that, okay, she's, she's working her hardest. And now, you know, I, I got to move up in, in the industry and, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully whoever else comes into this role is very fortunate to have had, you know, some good people on their side who believe in them and, and who understand that hard work, you know, 
deserve some reward. So yeah, tremendous advice. And for female, male, anybody looking to succeed in the game, it's a, it's a good thing to follow. And like you said, just open that door, go in and, and show them that you deserve to be there and uh, keep going until you make it to that next level. Uh, Paige, I just want to thank you again for taking some time today to join me on the podcast. And hopefully we're out of this pandemic soon enough and things get going again. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you so much, Ryan. All right. Take care. I'd like to thank Paige for coming on the podcast and talking about her career to date. With a career path that has included time at the NHL level in addition to other interesting positions, it's clear that she has a passion for the game of hockey and will likely hear more from Paige as she looks to climb the hockey ladder. If you would like to get in touch with Paige to learn about her experiences, I encourage you to reach out to her directly or contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Mike McKenzie, head coach and general manager of the Kitchener Rangers. As the second member of the Kitchener Hockey Ops staff to join the podcast, Mike looks at his own career with his playing days and family being a main focus throughout, so be sure to listen in to that episode. Once again, thank you to everyone for listening, and thank you for your support on our various platforms as we continually look to grow the brand and continue to bring the amazing stories of those in hockey operations to the forefront. As always, stay safe, and all the best.